You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hi, everybody. Give me just a second here. I'm going to get all set. Um, how you doing? Pretty good. All right. Well, I'm just going to I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. Hang on. That um, I'm used to more of a conversational style, like we would have a little coffee or something, and I'd share a little bit of my story, and then I'd hear a little bit of your story. So um, I'm not going to lie. This is exciting and equally terrifying. So thanks for all y'all that are, that are praying, and um, I hope today that um, you hear about the cornerstone that we just um, sang about, um, because that's my story, weak, made, strong in the Savior's love. And I hope today that you hear Jesus's voice um, as he tells this story, um, because that's the story I'm going to tell today. All right, I think we're going to skip right on. What time is it? 1024. So I'm going to, I'm going to do what a good teacher does. I'm going to edit a little bit. And um, let's look at Mark 4, which I think is slide three. Um, If you guys will look at this with me, it says that Jesus went back to teaching by the sea. There was such a great crowd. He had to get in a boat and he used the boat as a pulpit as the people pushed to the water's edge. And he taught by using many, many stories. So like I was saying, this is just the story that God's going to use, I hope. And I want to invite you guys to lean in today and hear the message that he has for you. Okay. Um, So every good story starts with a beginning. So I'm going to take us back just a little bit. All right. Once upon a time, as Kenna mentioned, before I was Abby, Zach, and Katie's mama, and before I was Glenn's wife, I was a college student here at Asbury, just like you. And um, I chose a few little uh, pics here for you to see my 80s hair, even though um, it was the 90s. We were still a little bit in the 80s. I know, right? Is really great. Um, so uh, I was also a first glide girl. So shout out any first gliders here. And um, my school of ed friends, anybody here from school of ed today? They're so sweet. So I was an English education major here at Asbury. Yeah. We love a good story, don't we? So um, I was also, uh, just so you know, that one shot, you can't see it very well, but before there was water palooza and before they like actually had athletic fields because teams played sports. So I don't quite know much about all that, but we did a little mudsliding out on those fields out there. Anybody ever done that? No? Okay. Well, just kidding. Um, So uh, before that, you guys, I was and still am a little bit of a daydream believer and I was actually a homecoming queen Right, right about here right about here. Can you believe that? What in the world? And that was my reaction. I like was nominated to the homecoming court my senior year. And I just went, Lord, what is happening? And at that point I had lots of great friends. I'm going to talk about them in a minute. But at that point I was going, are you kidding me? Lord, you put me on this homecoming court. So you're going to find somebody to take me. This is your job. This is your responsibility, right? 
No lie, I'm not kidding. That's why I had to tell this part of the story. Two weeks before I was supposed to stand right here and needed somebody to, you know, walk with me. <clears throat> and I had lots of friends. I mean, I wasn't unwilling to invite the friends, but I was like, Lord, this is your job. Two weeks before this cute guy that I'd met that, you know, we'd hung out a few times, but he hadn't officially asked me out. Two weeks before that homecoming court, Glenn Hamilton came and asked me out on a date. I know. Is that like provision? It's so good. And he had no clue. And so we had a nice, thankfully, the date went well. And I went, hey, would you be interested in taking me to this? So if you can look right there, there's right after they've serenaded me and handed me this big bouquet of flowers, I had left the little bouquet of flowers on the chair and Glenn graciously picked it up. So this is one of our favorite pictures. So Glenn is holding the flowers with me in the picture. Just so you know, these are two kids right here in that picture. We had no idea 26 years later, here we would be. So um, I was also a part of the messenger class and my class hymn says, we've a story to tell. So it's kind of fitting that I would get to tell you a story today. All right. Have you seen um, this thing that says, you know, how old you are? I am like, I am just happy that they left the cereal out all day and the calf old. Yeah, see, you think you've got it bad. Uh, we were just glad the cereal stayed out all day. Okay, I'm also SIPO note old. Does anybody know what this is? Anybody ever seen a SIPO note? Thanks, Allie. Thanks. All right. So when I was here um, and I found uh, Dr. Troyer actually had made these. I didn't know it. But these are what you call a good old SIPO note. So today I'm going to talk just a little bit about messages, the messages that we send, the messages we receive, the messages that we get from God. And this is just a little what kind of teacher would I be if I didn't have a little object lesson. So this is an actual SIPO note from one of my friends. And funnily enough, she's talking about Prof Lauder, who's in that picture right there with me. Prof was one of the most influential teachers in my life. He was the school of ed prof. And um, she, my friend in the SIPO note, is talking about how prof that day had preached right here in this room about how God had sanctified the hymnal. And even though they may feel like old, dull, boring, detached songs, hymns to us, that God had a message for us in them. Isn't that cool? So I thought that would preach today, and I would give you that SIPO message. So I want you to think about it as I start to um, just share my story. How do you primarily give and receive messages today? Think about that. I want to frame my story in that light. I'm going to talk about the messages I received through my life and the ways God showed up in my story to speak louder than those messages. And because of time, again, I'd rather be conversational, but I'm afraid I'll be a little off task if I don't focus on my notes. So um, don't worry, my story has a beginning, middle, and an end today. Have you ever heard or read such a boring story you thought it might never end? Okay. Ever read such a great story? You read it again and again and again. I was with my husband one time um, at the movies watching his favorite Lord of the Rings. I was in that second one, The Two Towers. And at one point I leaned over to him and went, I can't take it anymore. I can't. I can't. There's too much darkness. It's too palpable. I've got to step out. He goes, just hold on. Just wait a minute. And sure enough, within probably two minutes, Gandalf comes over the hill. The light dispels the darkness. It was a beautiful moment. 
I take messages very personally in my life, okay? I take them so personally that I'm sitting there in the movie going, I, I can't, I can't do it. So um, you'll see where I'm going with that in a minute. There's also movies, books I could read again and again, okay? Like anything by Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, I'm there. Downton Abbey coming out at the end of this week, I'm so excited. Well, just like a book that may be required, there may be chapters in your life that you'd rather have never read before. And it's a Downton quote right now that you might see. And it talks about that. It talks about how there are chapters of our lives that we wish had never been published. Well, my life was a story that was so painful at times, so near death, I thought my story might end. And I wanted certain chapters of my life to end, to close the book, to throw it away. And I pleaded with God at times to end that part of my life. Ever had those kind of chapters in your life? Before I get to those, I want to give you just a little bit of context for how God was already planning my rescue. You see, I am just a girl from Kentucky standing in front of you today. That was not the norm when I came to Asbury. Um, both my grandparents were farmers um, in rural Kentucky. These are just a few shots of them. The picture um, on the corner there is my dad, his grade school picture from the 40s. My dad dropped out of school in the sixth grade, probably had a learning disability. He struggled to read for my entire life. Enter my mom, who had a plethora of words, and so I grew up loving to read, loving learning, and I um, grew up to become a teacher of all things in English, a little bit of French, and a lot of reading and writing. I didn't grow up knowing about Asbury, but at some point along the way, I was introduced to this guy named John Wesley when I got here. So when my mom uh, asked me how things were going, like the first month or so, I'm like, it's great. I've got great friends. We're having a great time. I go to chapel. Yeah, we hear about Jesus. And we also hear a lot about this John Wesley guy. So I had no idea who he was. I didn't grow up in that tradition. Um, later, I found out there was another John Wesley. His name was John Wesley Hughes. You guys heard of this guy? He's the founder of Asbury College, okay? And so I think you'll see him on the next one. Yeah, there he is. Do you know where John Wesley Hughes was from? He was from Owen County, of all places. Owen County, Kentucky. He, too, struggled to read. And it wasn't until he was 15 or 16 years old that he came to Christ, and he felt a call to preach. So he took all six foot of him and sat in the one-room schoolhouse and learned to read with the little children. Um, and I love the top quote there by him because he founded Asbury because he said, if all we do is come and study with our minds, then that's just dead intellectualism. And if all we do is come and nurture our souls, that can become fanaticism. And so I think that's still true for today. He wanted a space where it wouldn't be antagonistic toward faith, but that we would have space to also learn and worship God. So um, the message I got when I realized what are the odds that the guy who founded Asbury College, like in the middle of Central, like in Wilmore, what in the world? And I, again, didn't grow up knowing about Asbury. So I was like, what are the odds that you're from the same little town as my dad? Um, I got the message that God must be writing a bigger story. God must be up to something. Um, well, I grew up reading and loving school from an early age. I was born in Georgetown, and I grew up in a little town uh, called Stamping Ground, which is 
smaller at the time than Wilmore, if you can believe that. Um, my uh, early years of school were right there beside me. Um, some Right there beside my neighbor was a retired kindergarten teacher, and she ran a private kindergarten out of her home. And so I grew up with this teacher right next door, and the messages I received from her were that I was worth listening to, that it was, um, it, I had something, I was capable, and that I could contribute. She also was the, was the one who taught me I could travel anywhere. Um, so it was really important that God gave me such a nice grounding, because around um, fourth grade, we moved to the big city of Frankfurt, and it was way more important in Frankfurt, yay, love my hometown, it was way more important there, I, I began to be aware of it, that it mattered more what label you were wearing on your clothes, what name your family had, um, what status your your family was from. And I was from a definite middle-class blue-collar family. And I show you the context of even before that to let you know um, this was all new to me. And there are lots of messages that come with that. I also began to become aware of something I had only known intermittently. My dad was, um, I dare say, a raging alcoholic. If you know anything about living with an alcoholic or someone with addiction, you know there are hundreds of messages that get sent to those around the, the addict. Usually they were mixed messages. Usually they're all unspoken. So my early adolescent years were more turbulent than I can begin to describe to you today. For those of you that know me, you know I love middle school students. I love teaching sixth grade in particular. And I'm sure that's where you can trace that love back to is right here. Because my home was usually a powder keg just waiting to explode. And school became my safe place. In the midst of it all, my mama took me to church where I heard the gospel and the power of God's word, the power of Jesus's name to literally dispel darkness. At church and Sunday school week after week, this man would just read the stories of Jesus with us. You know, there are layers of meaning in the gospels. And Jesus began to reveal himself to me. Pain got my attention attention at that time too, because I needed something that was bigger than me, something bigger than my own parents who were the most powerful people in my life at that time. I needed something more powerful than the stronghold of my dad's addiction. And that was Jesus. I needed a savior. So in August of 1980, at 10 years of age, I received Jesus. And as simple as I know to tell you, he kept his word. He keeps his promises. And he promised that if I invited him to come and be my savior, he would give me the love that he knew from his father. And that's exactly what he did. You know, Psalm 68 says that he is a father to the fatherless. And he protected me on countless occasions from death, whether that was driving in a car on the wrong side of the road, whether it was with violence in my own home, where sometimes, um, I shudder to say, there were, there were guns present. About this time, he also gave me a song to sing in the darkness. A youth pa pastor handed me this little cassette tape at the time, that's how old I am too, and he invited me to sing. I was painfully shy, but I knew how to sing. You know, God loves to use the weak things in our lives to bring him glory. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, the amplified version says, 
Therefore, I'm going to glory, I'm going to boast about my weakness and my own infirmities that the strength and power of Jesus could rest. And the Amplified says, Jesus comes and he pitches a tent over us so that he can live with us. So I want to circle back to my beginning question. What messages are you receiving today? What messages have you received in your life? Notice pain and addiction didn't have the last word in my story. So I want to fast forward a little bit um, to when I came to Asbury as a student. This was an oasis for me from chaos. I had friends from all over the states and from all over the world, actually, many of whom are like family to me and to our children today. They are friends for life. I didn't know that at the time, just to let you know. I have friends for life right now that I didn't actually meet until I was a junior or a senior. So um, the other verse I wanted to point out is from 2 Corinthians. Um, And one part of this, Paul says, we don't evaluate people any longer by what they have or by how they look. We looked at Jesus that way once, and we got it all wrong. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. So when I came to Asbury, I may have looked like everybody else, but there was so much going on underneath the surface. Like I hadn't even begun to grapple with. So I just want to give you here just a few stories from this room since I was assigned to speak here, if that's okay. And I want to tell you how Jesus showed up. Um, The first one was fall revival my freshman year. I was sitting right about in the middle of this section, and the guy stood right up here, um, whoever the speaker was. I don't remember him, most of what he said, but I distinctly remember him talking about this watch. And he asked us, if we bought this watch, spent all this money on it, would we dare put the watch on, go down in, you know, whether it's the pool or the, again, teams played sports, so I don't really know the lingo for this. But, like, if we dived, um, we're diving down in the water, If we went down, would we test that brand new watch that we spent all this money on um, just to see if it was still water resistant up to however many feet? And I'm sitting right here and I'm so in the story. Remember, I'm the one who takes the messages personally. So I'm right there going, well, no, that would be so stupid. So fill in the blank today for whatever it is that you want to spend your money on that's valuable to you. And he was like, so would you test it out? And I'm like, no. And he goes, then what are you doing with your life? Why aren't you paying attention to the creator, to the one who made you? He's given you an instruction booklet. He's given you the directions. Because sorry, I forgot to say that. How many of us don't really look at the instructions? I mean, probably for a watch, I wouldn't have. But it was at that moment that I began to grapple with, oh, that's really true. What do I think about the life that you've got for me, God. And I don't know exactly how this went, but I believe it was right here at this altar that I said, okay, Jesus, in the midst of all the trust issues that I've got for real reasons, what is it that you want to do for me? So the message I got was I could either lead my life or I could let Jesus lead my life and I could submit to his plans for me. Um, Remember, my trust muscles weren't very fluent. I was beginning even then to wonder, excuse me, did my dad's alcoholism have anything to do with how I operated today? And I think God protected me from, from even beginning to ask that question. 
Um, another uh, chapel I remember sitting right up there my freshman year, right up there, um, was from a missionary to Columbia named Margaret Brabon. And she told a story one morning about how um, there were stones being thrown into her home and the safest spot was to get in like the door frame with her little children at the time. And I, again, in the story, remember taking it all personally and going, oh my gosh, this is insane. And she was talking about following Jesus into these very real dangerous spots. And uh, she points her finger I'll never forget. She points her finger and she says, you are safer in the center of God's will in Medellin, Colombia, than you are out of the center of God's will in your own mother's kitchen. And I believed her. And I said, okay, Jesus. I started to take my fledgling first steps of trust. Um, he began to break my heart for people that I didn't know who he wanted to send his messages of love to. Dr. Kinlaw, you guys may know um, from the library being named after, was president at the time that I was blessed to be here as a student. And he taught me that whenever I opened my hands, whenever God invited me to surrender and he was going to take something out of my hands, it was because with my hands open, he was going to give me infinitely more than he was ever going to ask of me. And again, it went back to trust. Senior year, a friend of mine preached, and he stood right about there, and he came clean about sin in his life. And I was student teaching at the time, so I wasn't here, but I heard about it. Because that one chapel turned into like two weeks of people just coming and going and doing real work with Jesus at the altar and in this sacred space. So um, I just want to say today, like the very beginning story I told you about me being a little snarky in my surrender with Jesus and saying, well, you got me on this homecoming court, so it's your job to find me. Who's going to take me? However surrender comes for you, whether it's painful, whether it's something you're grappling with, maybe you're just going, I don't even know what, what it is you're talking about, actually. I want you to know that God himself can meet you right where you are. Um, his healing in my life has allowed me to carry his messages in more ways than I could have ever imagined. Primarily, I do that as a teacher, um, as a teacher of teachers here. I also got to share just two weeks ago, uh, my uncle passed away, and I was invited to share his story because in 2006, in his driveway in Versailles, sitting on a water cooler, my uncle, who would have never darkened the doors of a church. I got to explain the good news of the gospel to him. And I'll never forget him saying, you mean it cost him everything? I said, yep. And I just get to receive. Like, yep, that's right. So I got to share his story, and I got to invite an entire side of my family that I've been praying for as long as I can remember um, to invite Jesus to carry their burdens. So I want to ask you today, how do you carry the messages of Jesus? Is there room in your story for Jesus to speak to you, for him to speak to others around you, to people you don't even know? 
Today, I want to use a reading strategy that we use in the classroom. It's called Saving the Last Word. And I want to give Jesus the last word today. So whatever you faced, um, I want to encourage you today with the good news of the gospel. It doesn't have to have the last word. Pain or addiction, whatever messages you've received about God. Um, the other great thing in that 2 Corinthians 5 verse that I read um, was that we used to judge Jesus by our perceptions or by what other people thought of him. And we got him wrong. So I want to invite you today in the in the four minutes we've got, I want to invite you to just ask Jesus, what are the messages about you that I've received? Um, and I want to invite you not to judge him by appearance, but to invite him to speak for himself. I also want to encourage you to let his message from his word and from other stories around you, from your very own story, speak his truth to you. Um, I want to also point you to a C.S. Lewis quote uh, before we, we break, just because of time. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Isn't that great? And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read. It goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Isn't that the best? So today, I want to invite you to let God write his story in your life. And I've got some action steps here. What kind of teacher would I be if I didn't have an action step? So I'm going to invite you in just a minute um, to come. I'm going to say just a brief prayer. I'm going to invite you to come for sake of time. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, there are these old school SIPO notes all over the altar I want to invite you to grab a couple, and I want to invite you to let Jesus speak to you. Like, if you had to write one for yourself from him, what would it say? So please don't miss yourself in this, okay? So let him write to you or whatever you've heard him speak to you today. And then I want to invite you to grab a couple and encourage somebody else on campus. You don't have to actually stick it in the SIPO if that's way too old school for you. You could just hand it to them. But I want to encourage you to pay attention to the messages, the messages we're receiving and giving. Will you guys pray with me, please? Jesus, we want to give you the last word today. We want to invite you to speak. We are listening. In fact, I wonder what kind of messages are we sending you with our lives? I wonder, have we spoken to you today? Have we paused and acknowledged you? Thank you that the story that you're writing in our lives is bigger than um, what we can see right now. And I just pray for each, um, each of my friends here that you would come, Holy Spirit, and speak loud and clear. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.